All right, so Proverbs 17. Yeah, I wasn't here for the last, last week. I was in Pennsylvania last week. Yeah, Pennsylvania. It was like at 10 in the morning in Pennsylvania. It was probably around 80-something degrees, you know, like it would be here. But I wasn't sweating. There was a nice breeze. There was no humidity. I was sitting out on a swing. I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Back home, I'd already be like drenched in sweat, ready to go swimming, you know. So, uh, so Brother Freddie preached last week, and I'm sure he did an amazing job. And so we're just going to kind of continue the same old track. Uh, I'm only covering two verses in all of, I'm covering the first verse and the last verse. We'll read the in-between just to say that we went through all of chapter 18, but uh, we don't want to cover all the verses because we would we'll be here until next week. And uh, next week, you know, we may not be here anyway. We might be leaving to go to evacuate. So we need to pray about that. Pray that that storm out there dissipates, doesn't go to anyone. We don't, we, we, you know, we don't want to get in the habit of praying that the storm doesn't go to us, right? Kind of a self-centered prayer. I don't know if God hears those prayers. Send it to Florida, Lord. <laughs> I know there's Christians there, but they'll be okay. No, Lord, we pray the storm dissipates. Um, so, but we, we, we just want to cover, I think, this, this one topic that we haven't really covered yet, to my knowledge. And just to, just to introduce, introduce the subject, you know, I think our natural tendency as human beings is to drift towards isolation. Our natural tendency as humans is to drift towards isolation. That we just, for various reasons, we have a tendency just to want to isolate ourselves, to, to be alone, to be by, by ourselves. You know, um, and there's many, like I said, reasons that will cause that to happen, whether it's offense comes into our, to our life or we, you know, we get hurt by someone, um, we have a difficult marriage, we, just many different situations that can build up, get us to the point where we drift towards isolating ourselves, being loners, being by ourselves, not, or, or believing that we don't need someone, believing that we don't need relationship, and that's just a, a, a natural drift, and I think it's, it's opposite of the way that God made us, and with that being said, I know it's extremely difficult. It, it, takes, it takes really hard work to develop and to build meaningful relationships. How many of you can attest to that? I mean, we could all attest to the fact that it takes hard work to build meaningful relationships with people because people are fickle. And people will, will do things. You, you think you know somebody and you're in a relationship with them and, and they throw you a curveball. You're like, I, did, I, I didn't. And that could be your spouse. You know, it, it could be a friend that you've grown up with and you trust them, you believe in them, and, and then they throw you a curveball about something and you just don't understand where that came from. And, and so it takes hard work, it takes forgiveness, it takes diligence and patience and kindness to develop and maintain meaningful friendships. And so this is what we're going to talk about tonight. This is the subject about isolation and how isolation is where we are tempted to end up. I mean, just you, think about America. Think about our culture now as opposed to, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. You know, a, a century ago, families lived together. They, were, they lived in family compounds, and it was all just, you know, just kind of grew up together and lived together. When, when, when we were in um, Albania, 
uh, in, in that culture, you would look at the houses there and um, the host missionary told us that depending on how many stories the house was, that told you how many kids, how many sons were in the family. And they just built multiple stories homes and that all the family lived on the one compound. And so that was kind of for us something that happened years and years ago. And now we are isolated. We're isolated from our neighbors. We, some of us, we can, we can, you know, open up our side window to our next door neighbor and talk in a normal voice and they might hear us because we're that close to people, but we're so isolated. We have garage doors that we drive our vehicles in. We press the button and we're, we're, in, our, we're in our cave and we are by ourselves. We're with our family and we just, we, that's just where, how we are right now. So, but I believe it's contrary to how God made us. God made us, designed us for a relationship. So that's where we're going. But let's, let's, let's read in Proverbs 24 and, and, and we'll see what uh, these other verses are saying. We'll just go through it real quickly. This is the first verse that we're going to cover in just a moment. But verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Isn't that so true? Talk to somebody and all they want to do is tell you their opinion. It's foolish. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked, or to deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> Isn't that how you always get in trouble? I mean, like, I just, Proverbs says it in many different ways, but that's, uh, you get slapped, or you, like, you just think, yeah, it's because you said something stupid. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words are, of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. This is a gossiper. They go down into the inner parts of the body. That's how we we like gossip. It's delicious. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Hmm. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Amen. A rich man's wealth, this is so good, is a strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. In his imagination, he thinks his wealth is, and his power that comes from his wealth is going to protect him. But it's all in his imagination. That wealth can be gone like that. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Man, that, that's so good. That's good truth right there. It's kind of like when you are trying to decipher what's going on between two people. You, you hear one side. You got to wait to hear the other one. Don't give your answer too, too quickly. Don't, don't, don't uh, make your opinion too strong until you hear both sides. If not, you'll be put to shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Hmm. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. You know, we were doing a... We're doing a study with the young adults through the book of Ruth. And uh, it's a video series by Tommy Nelson. And he was preaching about this verse. And he says, you know, the, the context of that verse and the, and the 
the, uh, the meaning behind that is, I think, different than what we've always heard. You know, we've always heard that a man's gift, his talent, will make room for him and bring him before great people. But that, the idea of the man's gift is the idea of his service, his humility, his desire to serve others is what will make room for him. Not, not this idea of, oh man, I'm just so good at this thing that I do. I'm the best in the world and that's just going to open up all kind of doors for me and bring me before great people. That's prideful. That's a prideful, con- prideful connotation to it, or, or at least it can. But the real picture of this verse is, is that a, a, a man's gift, his service, his humility, his servant's heart, that will always make room for you. The person that has a servant's heart, the doors are going to open for that person because that's the type of person God is looking for. The one who states his case, this is what I said a, few, a couple of verses ago, seems right at first until the other comes and examines him. The lot, this is, those, the, this is the dice that Pastor Nate talked about how in the Old Testament before they had the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. That's what that picture is. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Hmm. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. He who finds a wife. Hallelujah. Finds a good thing <laughs> and obtains, you got to say it like that, and obtains favor from the Lord. And all the husbands say, amen. And all the engaged say, amen. <laughs> the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions, this is the last verse we're going to key in on. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen? Okay, so isolation. It's our tendency. This is where we drift. We drift to isolation. We drift towards being alone, not wanting to be accountable, not wanting to be involved in people's life, but God designed us for relationships with other people. And so I have five things, five things we're going to talk about tonight about isolation, about isolation. And so let's, let's, uh, let's look at the first one. The first one is this. That isolation contradicts the created order. Isolation contradicts the very created order. Genesis 2.18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Isn't that good? It is not good that man would be alone by himself, isolated, left to his own desires, his own will. It's not good that man would be alone. Verse 21 through 24, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept... God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Mankind, humankind, was designed by God with a need for relationship. And that's the created order. We see it in the beginning. God created man. God made a specific need in man to be connected, to be in relationship. You know, God said that everything was good in his creation until he got to to this part. 
And he said, it is not good. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he looked at man and said, oh, this is not good. They're going to blow stuff up. <laughs> they're going to destroy some stuff. They are gonna, they're just going to kill everybody. <laughs> like, they need, uh, this is not good. We've got to fix this problem here. And so God created a need in man, in humanity, to be in relationship. That's, that's a desire that all of us have. It's a desire that we are born with. Just from, 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 from birth, there's a driving desire in a child's life to be connected to his or her mother. You know, it's so amazing to me how, how kids, they just learn mommy and daddy. They just are connected naturally to mommy and daddy. And they would rather be with them than anyone else. Just when there's love and there's nurture and there's care. And even, even when there's abuse. You, you, you've seen, we've all seen, even when our kids are mistreated, there's a special bond and a connection with mom and dad because there's this innate desire that we all have from the very youngest age to be connected in relationship to people. But our tendency, as we get older, because of hurts, because of pain, because of abuse, because of disappointment, because of fear, we, we, we run from relationship. We want to run and hide. We say, forget, fooey on them. I'm doing life alone. I don't need anybody. But that's against the created order. God designed us for relationship with one another. And marriage is one primary way that God provides for us to resist isolation and experience the joys of intimacy. And every married person says, hallelujah. Thank God for the joys of intimate relationship with a spouse. That God gave us a, a lifelong companion to, to, to live with, to share the joys and, and the sorrows, the good and the bad, the ups and the downs with. You know, there is nobody in my life that knows me more than my wife does. There's nobody in my life that has all of my heart like my wife does. We, we, are, we are connected at a deeper level than anyone on planet Earth. And it's such a beautiful picture of intimate relationship that God designed us to have. And marriage is a gift. God made marriage a gift. And it's one of the primary ways God provided for us to resist isolation. But how many of you know you can be isolated in a marriage? Just like you can be isolated from friendships and relationships and other areas of your life because of offense, because of hurt, because of rejection, all these things, even in marriage, because of all these negative influences, you can be isolated in what is supposed to be one of the most intimate relationships of your life. And we've all experienced maybe moments of that, seasons of that. Some of you are living there right now. It's not God's design and it's not his best. God designed us for intimate relationship. Isolation is also a contradiction to the very nature of God. And how many of you know we're created in the image of God, right? That's what the Bible says in Genesis. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And so relationship is a part of who God is. God, God is one, yet he's three. He's three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's a triune unity, three in one. So even by God's very own nature, there's relationship and intimacy, and we are made in his image. So isolation contradicts the very nature of God. We were created to reflect the image of God. We were designed by God to be relational beings. God has placed in us a need and desire for relationships. And isolation goes against what God designed. Secondly, secondly, and here's, here's where it gets 
more confronting for us, more challenging for us. Isolation is a reflection of our pride. I think sometimes isolation is a reflection of our pride. Our pride convinces us that we don't need anyone. Our pride convinces us we don't need anyone. And sometimes we'll make statements like this. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody. Have you ever been there? I remember I was... um, I've self-contracted a house back in 09 and then we've, we sold that house and then I remodeled a house two, three years ago. So, you know, you have friends, right? And you love your friends. And your friends say, oh, hey, I'll come help you out. And then sometimes you have friends that are helping, that, that other friends that are doing similar work to you at the same time. This so happened, just happened to us, it's happened to me couple times during some of these processes of building and everything and and so then so then you get offended and you just like forget I don't need them anyway and, and there's this offense wells up in, in your heart I I don't need I can do this on my own and then you're there slaving away thinking man I wish they were there I could use some help isolation stinks you know but but that's just we we we, we can get to that point we're so frustrated with people we're so frustrated with what we see as their fickleness and their, their, their unfaithfulness and, and all the, the, the defaults we have as human beings. And we get frustrated at people. And we, we say, I don't need them. I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. It's a foolish statement. How many of you can't do things on your own? Even when you think you can, you can't because you need God. There may be things that you do by yourself, but you're never by yourself. Because God gave you the breath you breathe to give you the energy you have to work where you work, to do what you do, to have the brain power you have. It's all from God. We can't do anything on our own. Sometimes our pride convinces us of that. And then sometimes our pride influences us to say statements like this. I don't need anyone's opinion. I don't need their opinion. Their opinion doesn't mean anything anything to me. I think this happens a lot whenever you, you, especially with, Children and, and parents, you get to a point, and look, you can feel that way and be in your 30s, or maybe even 40s. You feel like your, your dad comes and tells you something, and you're like, I don't need his opinion. I'm my own man. I'm my own person. I can do what I want to do. I don't need their opinion. Our pride causes us to say that. And sometimes we'll say stuff like this, I understand everything I need to I understand everything I need to about this situation. I don't need any, any other information. I made my decision. I don't need to hear anything else about this situation. I know everything I need to know. What does the word of God say about this issue? The word of God says this in Proverbs eleven fourteen. 14. It says, where, where there is no guidance, I could do this on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody else's opinion. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is what? There's safety. Proverbs 15, 22 says this. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. You know, what? When, when I read these two verses, what I think of, I think of counsel and advice as kind of like just this protection built around you as you're walking in, in your life. And it's just like this wall that surrounds you. And as you're going in the different directions of your life and you're open, you're humble enough to ask for help. You're humble enough to ask for advice. It's like God just has this wall of protection that you're building, that he's building around your life. And, it, 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 and when you bump up against a difficult time, that it's like that advice and that counsel you, you took is like a buffer. 
because you took the advice and you took the counsel and, 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 and you've been protected and you've been made safe because you took advice and you took counsel. But when you don't have that, it's like you're just open. You're just wide open because you're doing it on your own. You don't need anybody's opinion. You're going to make your own decisions. That's, that's isolation. Our tendency is to isolate ourselves. And, and, and again, there's many reasons why we do it. But we, we have to reject that tendency. Isolation is dangerous. Proverbs 20:18 says this, plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, that's when you wage war. That's when you pursue. That's when you, that's when you go for it. That's when you pursue in battle is when you have had wise counsel. Many advisors. Proverbs 24, 6 says this, for by wise guidance you can wage your war and in abundance of counselors there is safety. Amen? Our pride says, do it on your own. You don't need anyone. You have all the information you need. Make your own decision. Be your own man. You're in charge. You're the boss. You're the captain of your own ship. How many times have you heard someone say that? Someone give somebody that advice. You're the captain of your own ship. You're the captain of your own destiny. Go for it. Set your sails. Be your own man. Create your own destiny. That's foolishness. That's ridiculous. You're not the captain of your own ship. You are a created being. God made you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. We need people. As much as we don't want to need people, we need people. We need help. We need guidance. We're foolish. We make dumb decisions. We say things we shouldn't say. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. Because, I mean, you guys are looking at me like, oh, my gosh. Maybe you're just, I, I mean, like, I, I just do stupid stuff. I say things I shouldn't say. I respond in ways I shouldn't respond. And we need counsel. And it's hard to receive counsel. It's easy to stay isolated and to say, I'm just going to do this on my own. But it's hard. When you're strongly opinionated like I am, I, when I believe something, it takes a lot of convincing to change my mind. And a lot of you that are here that are like me, you understand what I'm saying. It's hard. But I, just, I can just recount moment after moment, time after time in my life, whenever I, 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 I'll, I'll hear, sometimes it comes from my wife. And I'll hear something, and she'll say it, and I'll immediately know, oh, that's right. Oh, how am I going to do this? I've got to humble myself. I've got to admit I was wrong. I, sometimes I won't admit it. I'll just do, I'll just do the right thing. <laughs> and my action will declare to her that I knew she was right. But it's hard to get it out of my mouth. Because I just, I'm opinionated. But what a, what a gift that God gives us in spouses and in, in bosses and in counselors and in, and in, um, in, in mature Christians that are in our life and brothers and sisters in, in the Lord, just people that God places in our life to give us counsel and advice. What a great blessing that is. And when we don't see it as a blessing, that's whenever we stay in isolation and we just suffer the consequences. Just suffer the consequences. It's like teenage kids suffering the consequences. Number three, isolation is how we naturally respond to offense. So, number one, isolation is what? Contradicts the created, it should be in your notes, contradicts the created order. And isolation, number two, is a reflection of our pride. And number three, isolation is how we naturally respond to offense. 
Offense is one of the greatest hindrances to healthy relationships. How many of you have been offended in here? <laughs> you want to raise a couple hands, a couple feet, raise all your toes? We've all been offended. Offense is like, I think sometimes you can wake up and just get offended. Offended at Fox News for not covering this. Offended at CNN for not covering that. Offended at anybody and everybody. Just, I think everyone lives to be offended. Just look at Facebook. Everyone's offended. I think it's, it's just an offense of an offended Social media site, everyone's mad at somebody for not doing this, for not saying that, should have been here, should have done that. And also, just it's totally off message, but what? Like Facebook is just videos now. Anybody ever notice that? It's just videos now. All they play is videos of things they disagree with or things they agree with. I don't know. Anyway, I just was thinking about that earlier. Facebook is, hallelujah. But one of the greatest hindrances to healthy relationship is offense because we just get offended. When we get hurt or offended by someone, our tendency is to avoid, to avoid them like the plague, right? You, you, you experience that? And again, in, in, in marriage, you can be like this. When you're offended at your spouse, what do you do? If, if depends on your personality. If you're offended, you, you might be a fighter and you just want to drag it out and you're going to hash it out and you're going you're gonna to fight until you win. I'm, I'm not talking fist fight. But I'm talking like just argue. Like, but some of you, you're the run and hide type of fighter. You're like, I'm going to make them pay because of what they did to me. And I'm going to give them the cold shoulder. I'm going to isolate myself. And then you just are both isolated. I remember in the beginning of our marriage, Estelle and I went to go see The Passion of the Christ. Have you ever saw The Passion of the Christ? I mean, life transformational movie. I mean, this was like one of the biggest Christian movies of all time. Made hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and I'm excited to go see it. This was Estelle's first year of teaching. And she was just right out of college teaching high school kids at H.L. Bourgeois. And it was just a rough year for her. And so we go in the evening after she taught all day. But I'm pumped about seeing this movie. It's like a spiritual experience for me. And so I'm in, watching this movie. And it's a really exciting part. And I look over at her and she is out cold. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Jesus is getting beat right now for our sins and we're seeing it and you're sleeping how could you be sleeping and I try to wake her up and I just like I just cannot believe and I I couldn't get over it I'm like how could she sleep during passion of the Christ this is an amazing this is about Jesus and we get home and I, I was just stupid you know and foolish and I just didn't let it go and so she's in her bed and I'm sleeping on the couch after watching passion of the Christ Something's not right about this. This is ridiculous. But this is what we do when we get offended. We isolate ourselves because of offense. And as offenses accumulate, we feel safer in our isolation. Because we're like, if I isolate myself, they keep offending me. I'm just going to stop. This hurts too much. And that could be in marriage. It could be friendships on your job. That could be people in the church. You're like, I just... I can't do this anymore, so I'm not going to do it anymore at all. I'm just going to be alone. I'm going to stay, stay by myself. I'm not going to risk getting hurt anymore. Some of you are living there right now. You're like, I'm just not doing that. I'm not opening myself up because every time I do, I get hurt. It's not what God designed. And what, what does God want for us when we're offended? He wants forgiveness. He wants there to be reconciliation. Here's a picture of that in Matthew 18. Now, this section in Matthew 18 has to deal with church discipline. And so we're not going to cover that idea here as we read this. But I think there's a principle here in these first two verses 
It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. <laughs> Isn't that good? Like, that's totally not what we do. <laughs> now, let's talk about brothers in Christ. How often do you do that? Maybe some of you are really bold and you go do that. But most of us, we just, you're offended by your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. You're like, going to keep moving. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Don't start gossiping. Don't go get it out. Did you hear what so-and-so did to me? Did you hear what they said? Don't, don't start doing that. That's just going to make it worse. They're going to hear that you were gossiping, and they're going to get mad at you, and you're going to get even more mad. Go to them by yourself. They sinned against you. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. But what, what, what do I see? That I think the principle of this is, is that when there's a fence between a brother or sister in Christ, get it right. Go to them. If somebody has hurt you, I can't tell you the times I've, I've done this. I, I cannot stand the feeling of knowing. Even, even if it's an assumption and it's proven to be false, I can't stand that feeling that somebody has offended at me and something's not right. I, I, it just eats away at me, eats away at me. It's because there's supposed to be that union, that unity, that common unity with brothers Sisters in Christ. So pursue reconciliation. If they sinned against you, don't wait on them. Don't wait for them to come to you and feel like, don't, don't take the posture. I'm going to wait on them to say they're sorry first. How many of you do that in, in marriage? I do it all the time. Sometimes, sometimes I'll say I'm sorry and I'll look at Estelle. Okay, now it's your turn. <laughs> no, say you're sorry. Sometimes if somebody's offended you, they've hurt you. There may be something you've done to them. Go and apologize for what you've done. Pursue them first. Make it right first. Why? Because isolation is of the devil. Disunity among brothers and sisters and strife and bitterness is of the devil. Because what strife and bitterness and disunity does with brothers and sisters in Christ, it creates an ineffective church. It creates a church that is so inward focused they can't see out the front door. And that's how churches get eaten up from the inside out. It's because people are not willing to just, to, to just pursue, passionately pursue unity and reconciliation. Look, you, you're going to get offended in church. It's just going to happen. Some of you that maybe you just got saved, you think, oh, I'm never going to get offended. Give it, a, give it a little while. Give it a little while. You'll be offended by me. You'll be offended by Pastor Renee. The other pastors, you'll be offended by people you thought, just, I just, I can't imagine getting offended. It, it happens because that's what happens as in, with human relationships because we're all flawed. We're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. We all put our foot in our mouth. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And so we don't always use that power for good. A lot of times we use it for bad, sometimes even unintentional. We hurt people. So you don't wait on them. You pursue them. We must be quick to try and bring reconciliation between us and those we've offended or those who have offended us. If you've offended somebody, it should be a race, right? It should be a race. Who's going to get to the person first? That should be how it is in the body of Christ. Get it good. Make it good. Get clean. Amen? Because there's so much more important things in life than staying offended. One of the things I say at, at funerals that I do Talk about how that we should forgive quickly those that have offended us. Because when you die, 
you don't, you don't get a chance to make that right. And you don't want to leave a loved one having to deal with offense that they know that you had against them or vice versa. Deal with it. Live a, a, live a life of forgiveness. Live a life of continually forgiving because you don't know when your last breath is going to be. And may we all be people that, you know, not everyone will be good with us. But we can strive that most of them will. <laughs> That's my heart's desire, and I pray it's yours as well. The, the, the longer we wait to reconcile, the harder it becomes to humble ourselves. Our mind begins to play the offense over and over again. And we wait, we wait to reconcile. That offense gets bigger, it gets bigger, the wounds go deeper. And, it, and it's harder to, to, to humble yourself. Number four, isolation prevents us from experiencing God's plan for spiritual growth. Isolation prevents us from experiencing God's plan for spiritual growth. God uses the local church as a means of connecting us to brothers and sisters in Christ who are designed by God to spur us on in our spiritual development. This is what the picture of Hebrews 10 24 through 25 says, says, you know, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord's return drawing near. Let us consider, let us think about the many ways we can stir up one another to love and good works. This is, this is if you isolate yourself, from the body of Christ, from the local church, you prevent one of the greatest tools that God has designed for your spiritual growth and development, and that's relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. If you isolate yourself from the, from the church. And so that's what we do when we're in a relationship with one another. We stir up one another to love and to good works. We encourage one another. We hold each other accountable. How many of you have somebody in your life that will tell you your business? You, you got somebody that will be honest with you? Other than your spouse. <laughs> Other than your spouse. See, some, some, sometimes your spouse can tell you your business and you don't want to listen to them because you just, that's your spouse. How many of you have somebody that can look you in the eye and say, that's, that's stupid? You see that attitude? <laughs> that's, you know, maybe they'll be not more gracious than that, but they'll confront you in a nice way and say, that's not good. That's not God honoring. That's not... That's not the way a husband should treat his wife or a wife should treat their husband. You, we need people like that. That's a part of the body of Christ. That's stirring up one another to love and good works. Somebody bold enough that loves you enough, that loves you enough to say, brother, brother, look at this. Look at how you respond to your kids. Look at how you respond to your wife. Look at, look at your finances, brother. That, that, that's not good. This is not a testimony or a witness. That's the stirring up of one another to love and to good works, to be a testimony for the, for, the, for the goodness of God and for the gospel message. But if we isolate ourselves from the local church, then we are disconnecting ourselves and we are preventing us, ourselves from experiencing God's, one of God's great plans for spiritual growth. The second way that God, one, uh, the, the, the primary way that God uses for, uh, the church for our spiritual growth is that God has given the church pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And we see this in Ephesians 4. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature 
manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and in deceitful schemes. God gives us pastors and teachers in the local church so we don't go off the deep end. So we can grow spiritually, we can hear the truth of God's word taught, we're built up, we're matured, and that, that, that maturity and that building up, just like, just like taking advice and counsel is like this, this protection in your life, it's the same thing with good, solid biblical teaching. That whenever, whenever you come up against false teaching, that teaching, that solid teaching in your life is a protection against what's, what's false. It's just like somebody who their job is to look to find counterfeit money. They study the genuine over and over and over again. They look at what's true over and over and over again. And when the counterfeit comes, they recognize it right away. That's how counterfeiters, that's how they, they catch them. And that's how we are. That's how when we're taught God's word, we hear the truth over and over and over and over again. When something false comes on, somebody goes on the TV and says that God desires you to, to, to be rich. Just give me your $1,000 and God wants you to be rich. You're like, wait a second. And, and even something more slick than that. Something that appears to be good. There's just something that's in you. No, that's not right. I don't know what it is yet. I'm going to figure it out, but I know that's not right. That's because you've heard the truth over and over again. But if you isolate yourself, you say, hey, I don't need to be taught the word of God. I can do that all by myself. Then you ignore what God's word says of what he designed for us. He's given us, he's given us pastors and teachers so that we can become mature, so that we can be protected from false teaching. If you, if you isolate yourself, you isolate yourself from what God has given. Amen? Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. If we isolate ourselves in the body of Christ, or we isolate ourselves while in the body of Christ, do you guys catch that? If we isolate ourselves from the body of Christ, or we isolate ourselves while in the body of Christ, we isolate ourselves from one of God's primary means of sanctification in our lives. Some people isolate themselves from the local church. They say, I'm done with church. I'm not going to do that. Others isolate themselves while they're in the local church. They're, they're here, but they don't take advantage of the brothers and sisters in, in Christ. There are many ways to connect within the body of Christ. There are many ways to be connected. There's small group Bible studies. The women are about to, uh, tomorrow night in the fellowship hall, they're beginning a new series by, by Beth Moore. If you're disconnected, Hey, if you have not connected with a sister in Christ, if you're a lady here, this is a great opportunity for you to come on a Thursday night to connect with sisters in Christ. There's life groups. There's men's ministry. There's women's ministry. And then on September 17th, I'm, I'm going to be starting a uh, Bible study here on Saturday mornings at 6 to 7, from 6 to 7 in the fellowship hall. We have 17 men that signed up on Sunday. Isn't that awesome? That's just the first week of sign up. I'm excited there's going to be more men that are going to sign up. We're going to teach men how to study God's word. It's a way to connect. I know it's at 7 in the morning. You might be half asleep. But we'll give you some coffee and you'll wake up. And you can connect. And then another way to connect to the body of Christ is through outreach ministry. There's, look, there's nothing like serving with other people in outreach. 
You go out there and you work and you sweat and you serve others. And there's just this teamwork that's built. There's this connection, and this bond. It's the same thing that happens on mission trips. When you go on, on a mission trip, there's a lifelong bond that you, could, that you build with somebody. You may, you may not... You may not be with them. You may not do life with them on a regular basis. They have their circle in the church and you have yours. But you go on one trip with somebody. There's that lifelong bond. You serve God together in a foreign country. And it's beautiful. And you, you can see them years down the road and you know, hey, man, we work together in Albania or in El Salvador or, where, or, or wherever our church goes. And the same is true with outreach. You, can, you create a bond serving others for the sake of the gospel. So isolation, number four, isolation prevents us from experiencing God's plan for spiritual growth. And lastly, the last area, so isolation robs us from precious friendships. Isolation robs us from precious friendships. When we isolate ourselves, we rob ourselves of the joy of having deep friendships within the body of Christ. And that's what God, God desires that for you. Some of you feel like, I just don't have a friend. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't have a friend. I don't have a close friend. Pray. Say, God, send me a friend, a brother. In, if, you're, if you're a brother, pray, pray, pray for a brother. If you're single looking for a sister, <laughs> pray for a wife. But if you're married and you're a brother, you ask for a brother in Christ. If you're married and you're a, a woman, ask for a woman to be your friend. But pray. Say, God, I don't, I don't connect with anybody. I don't know. God, open my eyes to see how I can connect. We need those close friends in our lives that they, they have our back. You, we have their back. You know, I've got friends in my family. I know at the drop of a hat I can call them and they'll be there. I know. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt it. I don't question it. I know I have friends that are like that. Make a phone call. They're going to be there. They're going to be there. And, and I believe and this is what you need. You need people that will be there when you sin. You need people to be there when you make mistakes. There's nothing worse in the body of Christ to have Christians that are isolated and when they sin, there's nobody there to pick them up. They're by themselves. No one knows they're struggling with addiction, with pain. No one knows they're struggling with secret sin. They're by themselves. This is why isolation in the body of Christ is so dangerous. You could be struggling with a secret sin and nobody knows you're dealing with it, but you've placed yourself in that position because of various reasons, because of all the things we've talked about. You've been offended before and you don't want to risk it. You got offended at your, your last church and, and the last church you were at. And so you, you, just keep, you just keep saying, I'm just going to attend a church this time. I'm just going to sit and listen to the preaching. I'm not going to go in deep. And all you do is, when you struggle, when you are really struggling with an area of sin in your life, you have nobody there that can help you, that can hold you accountable, that can pick you up. People always say that the church shoot their wounded. And they're not there for people. You know what I, what I believe happens a lot too? Is that the church, they don't know that other people are struggling. Because I believe in the goodness of the gospel that's shed abroad in people's hearts. I believe you guys, all, all of you that are Christians here, you, you love the Lord. And if a brother in Christ or sister in Christ sins, I believe that you would help them. That you'd hold them up. Sometimes sin shocks people. So you got to get past the shock value. You might be, you know, I've, I've experienced that with brothers in Christ. If they've made mistakes and you get past the shock value and get past a little bit of anger, I cannot believe they did that. That was so stupid. What were they thinking? 
But then you know what happens? You start thinking. Oh, I, I remember. I remember when I did something like that. I remember when I made a mistake. I remember when I failed. I remember what God forgave me of. And you know what that is? It's just the gospel doing its work. And we just love. We just love them. But if we're isolated, if we don't have that type of friendship with people, then we don't have that benefit that God designed us to have. And this is biblical. This is Galatians 6. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. It says, brothers, so not speaking to the outside world. This is to the church. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, what's the next word? Any. Is there a category to any? That's hard. We like categories, don't we? Because we can label them. Well, if they do this sin, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to do what the rest of the verse says if it's this sin. But if it's this one, it's just too much. I can't deal with that. The Bible doesn't give us that, that wiggle room. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, what should you do? You should restore him. And that, when you study that word out, restore, it's the picture of as if they had never sinned. Complete restoration. You should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keeping watch on yourself lest you also be tempted. And then it says this. And this is, this is when you do that, this is what you're doing. You're bearing one another's burdens. And so fulfilling the law of Christ. And that picture of bearing the burdens, it's the idea of a heavy load that somebody is carrying. And this could not just be sin. It could be oppression. It could be depression. It could be just anxiety and fears. And, and a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ that you know, they're, they're walking around with this like backpack full of weights of pressure on their shoulders. And whenever we do this for them, it's like we take the backpack off of their shoulders and we carry it. Just, you know how like Jesus did for you on the cross? He took upon himself the punishment for your sin. Whenever we reflect what he's done with the gospel, that's what we do with each other in the body of Christ. We take upon ourselves. You say, brother, I got this. I'm taking this on my shoulders. I'm going to bear your burdens with you. That's, that's what we do. But if you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, from genuine godly friendships, you miss this. And I pray for you if you don't have this, seek it, pray for it, be friendly, make yourself friendly, seek somebody out, pursue somebody. Don't isolate yourself. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. He, there's not another to lift him up. It's exactly what we're talking about. Woe to that person. And here's what a good friend does. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's a good friend. They'll wound you, but it's a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The person who doesn't tell you the truth, they're your enemy. The person who's not honest with you to tell you the truth, they're not your friend. They're your enemy. Person who always tells you what you want to hear, they're not your friend. They're your enemy. It's, it's deceitful. We need to hear the truth. And to hear the truth from people that we love, we, have, we cannot isolate ourselves. 
Amen? Isolation is a contradiction to the created order. So my encouragement tonight is to not be isolated, to get outside of your walls, to, to, go, to, to go make a friend. If you're struggling, if you're struggling in an area, you desperately need somebody to hold your hand to walk you through that. There's many opportunities that we have, as we just said. Many, and you know, it takes time. For, for some of you, I know it's difficult. Look, I get up here, I can preach, and I can, I can, this building can be packed. We could have 3,000 people in here, and we can't even fit that. But if we had 3,000 people, I'm, I, I could preach, I'd be comfortable, it's good. I don't mind doing that. It's hard for me to walk into a room of 50 people. I don't even, like... I, I'm looking for my friend. <laughs> I'm looking for one person. Let me go find one. I'm going to go find that person. We'll, we'll chit-chat and talk. Because I just don't like that. And I think a lot of us are like that. We just, you know, so this women's group here for Thursday night is going to be hard for some of you. But hey, do it. Get out. Do it because you know it's good. Because you know God has designed that. Amen? Amen? Father, I thank you for your word, God, that challenges us to not be isolated, to resist isolation. God, I pray for all of us that are experiencing offense right now, that are offended in our heart at somebody in the body of Christ. I pray that we would let it go. I pray that we would pursue reconciliation. I pray that we would not allow bitterness and resentment to fester in our hearts. God, I pray that we would reflect you in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be quick to forgive that we would be quick to let an offense go, that we would not hang things over people's heads. It would help us to respond in ways that honor you in the relationships that you've given us. God, I pray for those right now that are in difficult marriages, that are struggling in their marriages, marriages right now. They feel isolated. They feel alone. I pray, Lord, that you would bring reconciliation. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to develop, that they would begin to develop genuine forgiveness and intimacy in their marriage. God, there's nothing too hard for you. Even the most difficult relationship, most difficult marriage, nothing is too hard for you to come in and to resurrect and to bring intimacy and unity in a marriage. We thank you for that. Lord, we give you the rest of our evening. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed.